Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. I am so excited for our guest today, Holly and Simon. We have been following each other on Instagram for a while, cheering each other on, supporting one another. And we've already been talking a little bit before I recorded, and I'm just so, so excited. We were talking about the issues of being publicly deconstructing online and all the shit we deal with, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that in this episode. But just for a little bit of her background, so you'll understand where she's coming from. So Holly and Simon, she did not grow up in church, but at 13 years old, she converted to Christianity at a Christian camp. And soon after, became really involved in the church and eventually volunteering in the children's ministry and the worship team. And life her life was also greatly influenced by purity culture and had a great effect. And she also worked on church staff for 10 years and six of those years were pastoral. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. A lot, a lot to get into, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes. Thanks for having me. This is my first deconstruction podcast since I've deconstructed. Oh, so okay. I'm honored. So I'm like so pumped. Like I've shared on some other po podcasts that weren't deconstruction related. They like still brought it up, which was cool. But mm. this is like official. So I'm pumped. Ooh. Oh, okay. Exciting. All right. Yes. And so it's so interesting to me because you did not grow up in the church. Mm -hmm. Of course, you still got sucked into it still mm -hmm. at a very early age. And so I guess what is interesting to me is, so you converted at a Christian camp, but what led you to even going to a Christian camp? So I did, like, I went a handful of times to Catholic church as a kid. Um, I wouldn't really consider myself having been raised Catholic, but my mm -hmm. mom wanted me to go through the process. I'm mm. half Italian. So like that was important to my dad's side of the family, whatever. Meanwhile, both my parents aren't Christian. So it's like funny. Um, so I had a bad experience there and told my mom and she's like, you never need to go back. That's fine. But I want you involved in something, some type of group with people, whatever. So this little church by my house where I grew up, I saw they had a banner up for summer camp. And I had never been to a summer camp before. And I was like, this would be so much fun. My mom was like, that would be really cool. Your first time going away from home for like a big camp. And I'm, I'm outgoing. So I wasn't mm -hmm. scared of 
making new friends or hopping into a new situation. So I was like, all right, sign me up. Okay, got you. And so what were your feelings about going to that? Were you completely excited or? I didn't really know what to expect because mm. the only experiences of church I had was mm-hmm. Catholic church. So I think right away, like everything at the camp was, now I know, mm. everything was geared towards my interests. The recreation with the competitive aspect to the mm-hmm. friendship aspect to the, there was like a lot of free time in the day where I got to connect with friends and obviously the huge like worship evenings with we'll get into that so that for me was very much whoa this is different than anything I've ever seen before and I am about it I was a musician I'm a musician Mm -hmm. and my dad's a musician for a living so like the music I was like they have like real music so it automatically I was like okay this is cool I see. And so I'm assuming, I know it's different, like for the camp that I grew up in, you usually went for a week. So how long were you at this camp? Was it also a week? Yes, it was a week. Okay, got you. And so just walk me through your experience as you're going to this camp. So let's just start. What was the first day like? What was your impression? My my cabin mm-hmm. leader was amazing. They all had like fun little camp names, which I thought was really cute. I saw that there that competitive aspect, diversity was important to me. And I did mm-hmm. see that it was diverse, which I yeah. also liked. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's really cool. I still noticed that there was like different types of kids there. Like, it didn't feel like a bunch of what I knew to be church kids from all walks of life which I also liked because I was coming in as a non-church kid it felt okay to be a Mm non-church kid the first the first day I remember like getting into the bible part of it and my mom like gave me a bible before I went I really have zero ccd I did go to ccd weekly catholic education I don't know what the cc stands stands for but I did go to that weekly but way Uh different than reading and understanding the Bible and all of that. So I was very new, had no clue what was going Mm -hmm. on, but I was just like, okay, I'm on board. These people look sold out, bought in. I guess this is going to be cool. And I guess I'm going to learn a lot. Yes. And so how much of the time at camp was religious activities or worship time? So that, I feel like it wasn't a lot. I feel like it was more... Like we had an evening chat and I actually, so my memory is not that great, but my husband Mm. was actually a leader at that camp, like after we Mm. 15 years later or whatever. So I have a recent recollection of what happens at the camp also, which is helpful. We only had a chat at nighttime about what we learned through the day. And then there was like I don't think it was called chapel, but there was like a one time in the day where they did a little, but it was very theatrical, right? Mm. If you're familiar with Hume Lake, but it was very like Hume Lake-esque theatrics, cute worship leaders, like totally much more focused on the fun aspect of camp. Even the songs, like the recreation songs were not religious. So the only time that was the evening time with the worship songs so that was it didn't 
to me it didn't feel overly religious or like overly uh, spiritual until uh, the worship portions yes and so what led you to the point to like converting and giving your life over to jesus throughout the whole week i was like these people are passionate about what they believe in and i have always just been like i believe in god like i don't really know much about jesus the aspect of the worship and seeing people so emotionally mm -hmm. during their time of worship completely grabbed my heart this is what i need to devote mm -hmm. my entire life to and i've been missing out and i am ready to just dive in head first and try and make up for lost time i see and so how like how did they did someone help you convert to christianity or how did that work because i know it's different in different spaces was that kind of what it was like or yeah they had us stand they had us like raise our hands mm -hmm. then we like stood up during the prayer they did like a repeat after me do you accept jesus into your heart prayer and then my leader had come over to me afterwards and put their hand on me and it's so cringy to talk about it now but that's what it was <laughs> and it's interesting because the psychology of religion is really something that i've been digging into a lot this year as i've left mm -hmm and understanding emotional manipulation, taking psychology classes and learning about so really a little bit of sociology too, of like how we can easily be influenced in social groups. And to me, a big part of my deconstruction was going back and reframing what I perceived, and this is an air quote, so we were listening as spiritual or religious. Because as I deconstructed and deconverted, I'm like, okay, like I thought these things were spiritual. Mm -hmm. Now I had to go re-examine this and really maybe look at it from different perspectives. So one of the things you know that happens at Christian camps, happens in churches, cults, and these worship services is called like elevated emotion. And I recently learned this because I was on a podcast and like I was describing this and they're like, you know, that's a word, right? I'm like, does it? I'm like, please let me know. So they were like, yeah, elevated emotion. And basically behaviors and moods are contagious. So when you're in this environment, you were describing like the emotional worship songs, seeing the people around you reacting and the music and the tone of people's voices and what they're saying and the passion mm -hmm. that they give and just people reacting. It's so contagious. And we're told to interpret that as spiritual mm -hmm. and as special. And the hilarious is that I've seen the deconstruction world is that people go online and be like, I've, I'm experiencing these same things at a rock concert. Yes. What is going on? I saw like a meme going around, like realizing that I felt exactly the same way at a One Direction concert than I yes. did when I like accepted the altar call. <laughs> I was like, that's me. <laughs> yes. And it's just, we don't have anything else to compare that to. And we have these people telling us that this is spiritual, this is, and that belief, believing that makes it so much more powerful. And that's something I've also been learning about really is like the placebo effect of it doesn't matter what you believe in, but if you really believe it, it's going to affect you and how you perceive reality and you'll interpret things through that lens. And it's just fascinating to reframe those things. But 
going back to your story, after you converted, when you went back home, what changed in your life? Every single thing. Had a boyfriend, I broke up with him because mm. he's not a Christian. So that was the first big change. Uh, Second change was getting plugged into the church, started going to the church, started going to mm -hmm. the youth group. I got involved in a girl's Bible study, which is mm. what started the whole purity culture. So then I started changing everything I was wearing, mm. the music I was listening to, looking up every single thing I watched on television, uh, and then also starting to serve in different ministries. Mm. Yes. And so I think how young when you started helping in the ministry? So I was 13 years old and I was like always the youngest to have like had a group this big. I was the youngest mm -hmm. Cubbies director for Awana and I spoke at the Awana National Convention, like wow. the youngest person ever. I was always that. Wow. She's like this incredible leader and she. The poster a, child. Wow. Poster child of children's ministry right here. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And so when, I'm curious then, because you didn't grow up in church. So what church did you go to when you were converted? That camp when you left, where did you look to go serve? So the, I went back to the church that I went to the camp with, because I'm like, now wow, I have I friends. Okay. And it's right by my, it was like a minute from my house. And funny now knowing but they're a baptist church so that was my first my intro to christianity was mm -hmm. the baptist church now was in it san like diego in san diego so, got you so it's not like it's not like westboro baptist got you, you know could have yeah. been worse could have been a lot better <laughs> and was it southern baptist or so technically they were with the southern baptist conference but then when like the southern baptist conference did that like change and merge then they like merged over to like the baptist general conference oh, okay. which so i think a couple things like in the bylaws changed i was on staff so i like had heard about it mm -hmm. still not really i'd since I was a new Christian, I'm like, this is Christianity, right? Yeah. So then it framed any other church I went to. And then I was like, whoa, there's like different denominations that do things totally different. People aren't voting on everything at this church. My ministry experiences at different churches, then it, my mind started to be blown and really started thinking like, they're all Christians, but they believe and say and do wildly different things within their church, within their staff. And like, at what age did you see that? Like immediately or? So I would say one thing I remember, this kind of is, this kind of has to do with that. But I remember going to a class when I first joined the church called How to Know the Bible. And I had a lot of questions. Mm. Main thing was dinosaurs, like where do they fit in? And then enough, my biggest thing was I cannot accept the fact that good people that I love yeah. and care about are going to hell. Explain yeah. that to me, right? Mm -hmm. And then immediately it was like, read this book by Lee Strobel, read the case for Christ, read mm. this, whatever. And yeah. I'm a very like, when an authority is telling me something, I listen, right? Yeah. I was like the perfect mm. person to manipulate and form yeah. into this like, perfect Christian and she serves on all these teams because I was just I'm like okay they're telling me it um so then I would say as more conversations happened being pulled 
it's much easier. You understand this. It's much easier to look back on it, right? Yeah. It all comes full circle. Yes. And, and I have little memories that come back to me that I think trauma, I've pushed it out of Ooh. my mind. And now as I'm healing, it's coming back. And yeah. I'm like, I'm Ooh. very much like in yeah. an angry stage. I know that's okay. Yes. It's okay. Most definitely. Oh, and yes. looking back and reliving on those things, I'm like, wow, that was like really fucked up. So I think those things, I think really realizing like, wow, there's a lot of differences was my first time leaving that church. I was at that church for 13 years. So I was on staff mm, at wow. 16 years old. I was the administrative mm. assistant. Oh. And then and then I was the worship, <laughs> the assistant to the worship. Oh pastor. my God. And okay. then I was the children's ministry intern. Oh my and God. then I worked there all through college. Uh, cause I went to a local college, so I commuted. And then when I left that church was when I graduated college, my husband is in the Navy, mm-hmm. went to be with him where he was. And then I right out of college, I got my first pastoral position and it was at a non-denominational church. And I was like, shook. I was like, Whoa, this is, I thought Christianity was cool. Now I'm like, this is really cool this is this is cool like the music's even cooler like you know church I was at I was also on the worship team and I led the youth in worship and we had three different services so the first service was all the hymns and my Mm. I'm a bass player my bass was like turned way down first service because those people would just think that's Mm. devil worship second service was like more like modern but like Chris Tomlin modern okay third service was like awaken and it was like the crazy love like those christians are so this church was like all the third service awaken and i was here for it i'm like yes like more people that are more like my vibe because i was always like the only one at the church with tattoos right Mm -hmm. only what like i was always the edgy like i because i was also a professional gamer so i was in the gaming industry space while also working at a church so it was very i was Mm. the crazy one but at this church, I was the cool one. I felt like I found my people. It's so funny that you mentioned that, like being like the edgy, cool staff member. Because have you seen the Righteous Gemstones on HBO? No. I highly recommend for anyone listening. Oh my gosh. The best way I can explain this show is that it is satire of evangelicalism and mega pastors need i need to be watching it like yesterday. it's hilarious oh my god it's two seasons are out already a third one is coming in february oh my gosh anyways mentioning that there is a character in the show that is a youth pastor and he just tries to be the edgiest coolest person ever <laughs> and it just made me think of that when you said that it's really funny and like it's always oh my the youth god. pastors <laughs> <laughs> but oh my gosh i love the righteous gemstones but Wow, so 16 years old. And so to me, wow, that's just crazy. <laughs> so young. And did people have opinions about you being that young and having a position like that? A lot of the, we had a very high population of older people in the mm. church that had been at that church for 80 years and I think at first they were pretty like, 
yikes about me working but I was very liked Mm. at pretty much every single church I was at Mm. realizing now that I really have the perfect personality for Mm. church indoctrination and Mm. manipulation and I am a lead pastor's favorite pastor because I am a doer you don't need to ask me twice to do something. It's already been mm. done. Workhorse. I'm mm. very driven. I am yeah. a perfectionist. All those qualities that lead pastors and narcissists love, they love yes. me. Mm. I was always very loved. I was always very supported. I did have the occasional, like, because I, I worked with a lot of parents, right? They were mm. my volunteers. And that sometimes would be a little weird because I'm, I always felt, I think I felt more weird than they did. Cause this is my, I'm leading them, but I'm 16 and they're 40 or whatever. But I think it was more me kind of just being like, wow, this is like heavy and I'm young, but I was well-liked. I see a lot of people pleasing. Yes. Patterns. Oh, well. Wow. And I like, I see this a lot and I relate I feel like the fawn response is so common. The trauma response is this mm-hmm. so common in these environments because you're you're taught to oh you're supposed to be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. You should be happy all the time because you know you have Jesus. You're going to heaven. You, you're hashtag or not hashtag in quotes of blessed. Yes. <laughs> hashtag blessed. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And there's so much shame around that and so when there's anything wrong in your life and you say something about it you're shamed and there's also so much shame around not constantly giving yourself to other people it's always like phrases like others lord yes others and you just basically you're taught that oh if you put you all if you put everyone else first then god's gonna bless you jesus is gonna bless you and this is this is a terrible awful thing i I heard in the cult that I grew up in, but I was taught that, and this I even heard this sadly, like when I would go back to home from college, this one teacher was still teaching it, but joy stood for Jesus, others, and you. Yikes. So the way to have joy is to always put yourself last. Mm. <laughs> it's like that. I grew up with the I am third. God, others, and then yourself. Oh, um, same thing. Ooh. And that now I'm like, wow, that's not only is that wrong, but it's harmful. Yes. And and this is a healthier thing that I've learned. If you want to help people, help yourself. Yes. Because if you're not helping yourself, you're not taking care of yourself, you cannot help other people. Yes. And the church doesn't breathe that. The church breathes yeah. burnout. It does. Oh, it does. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so I'm really curious about your deconstruction journey of being in this environment. So you have this, you go on staff at 16 years old. Now, starting at 16 and you're on staff, walk me through your deconstruction journey. After working at that church, then I got hired at my first pastoral position out of college. Mm -hmm a non-denominational church have nothing bad to say about the experience we weren't there long because my husband's no. military they no. knew that and they just wanted me as long as they could have me and they mm-hmm. were happy i was there 
yeah. like restructured their children's ministry. It was great. And we got sent back to San Diego. But now that my non-denominational eyes have been opened, I was yeah. not going back to the Baptist church. So I saw that a non-denominational church was hiring for a children's pastor. And I'm like, it's me. Like, this is God. I actually interviewed with them over Zoom before we were even back in San Diego. Like our first Sunday home, they interviewed me and hired me like pretty much on the spot. Mm. I was on staff there for four and a half years and didn't realize how terrible of an environment I was in. Mm. This was my first bad church experience. There's little things, little conversations, like I said, that have come back to me in time, but this was the first like, yikes, this was really bad. The lead pastor and his wife were also the biggest in an MLM company and on staff pretty much had to be on it. It was a whole thing talked about from the pulpit, the whole 10 yards, but I am this, like, I listen to my authority. And my mm. first Sunday there, I was in tears afterwards. I was like, this is a really fucked up. Like I knew it was bad. I was like, I feel like the lead pastor is like, ook. and it was just bad. Mm. And one of the other girls there ended up like ratting me out, like saying that Holly Ann was like in tears. And she said that this doesn't, this seems off, whatever. So they ended up having a private conversation with me, which I have flashed back to more times than I can count. Uh, and they were pretty much telling me that I was responding that way because of my past church hurt. It wasn't a them problem. It was a me problem. And I remember thinking to myself, what church hurt? I don't have any. What are you talking about? And I really yeah. didn't. So I was very confused. But I'm like, I'm like, these are my pastors. Mm. These are not only, this is not only my boss, but these are my mm. pastors. I went with it. And again, for those four and a half years, I was the star pastor on staff, right? It was mm. Holly Ann is a doer. She gets mm. everything done. We call her at 11 o'clock at night to start emailing 450 women for the women's event. And she's going to do it, right? Two weeks before my next story, they were like, Holly Ann's the best children's pastor we've ever worked with. She's amazing and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden we need you to come in early, two mm. hours early to staff meeting. And it was them telling me that God had them up all night the night before, mm. and that I was no longer the person for the position. <sighs> I was just bawling. And yeah. at the time I was in therapy, I told my therapist who was a Christian therapist, mm. the entire conversation like right after it happened. And she yeah. was so livid. She was like, that is how a man, how an abusive husband talks to their wife. Like mm. the way that they talk to you, they were talking down at me for literally two hours with me not speaking. Like, here's what's wrong with you. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's uh, what you should have seen that you needed to invest $20,000 into the children's ministry. And you don't see that. So you're not the right person. See? And I was just like, what the actual fuck is going on? And not to mention, I was six months pregnant and my husband was deployed. So it was like, I, I was completely blown away. I remember leaving that meeting, like what the fuck just happened? Mm. It was very much, you're not the person for the position, but we're going to make you do all of these changes that we, that need to be done. Uh. So this, that conversation was in January and I stayed through May. 
So I legged out all of those changes and people that were close to me knew something was going on because those changes were not me at all. And they knew it. So it was very like manipulative. And then crux, like the part where I was like, whoa, what just happened was when they called me on stage to tell people that I was going to be stepping down and they completely put it on my unborn child. So they were like, Hollyann's entering a new phase of her life with her child coming. So she's going to be stepping down from this position. And my husband had just came home from deployment. This was like five days before I had my son. And I remember getting off the stage and my husband looked at me and was like, so what did you think of that? (laughs) And I looked at him and I was like, that was a complete load of bullshit. Mm. I was so angry because they've, they lied to the entire yeah. congregation. And I remember looking at faces and people were like, Holly Ann would never leave her position. Like they were looking like bewildered. But then the funny thing is he still wanted to keep me on staff. They wanted me to be the adult ministries pastor. It was this whole, and I was lucky enough to have been offered another job position, which I did not let them know. But I saw myself out. I remember telling them like, I'm actually not going to be coming back after my maternity leave. And the lead pastor laughed at me and Hmm. he's Holly and I can tell you that we're not surprised by that, but are you still going to be coming to the church? (laughs) And so I went to the church for two more weeks and I just was like, I can't look at my team that I've built with people that I have genuine connections with. These are people that I've poured into their Mm. lives. They poured into mine for the last four years and they have absolutely no clue what's actually going on. I can't do this or it's going to be a blowout. And I wanted to leave peacefully. Mm. That's not my work to do. And I'm a firm believer mm. that everything comes out in due time. Three mm. months after I left, the worship pastor left. And then the lead pastors actually ended up leaving their own church that they planted. Oh, yeah. wow. So I'm like, okay, light bulbs have to be going off for some people. And if they're not, that's on them. But shockingly i was like i just need to find a healthy church so found another church the thing that drew me to that church was that the pastors were bivocational meaning they all had real jobs also uh, air quotes real jobs so one one was a firefighter graphic designer a teacher and then they also worked part-time as pastors and that was very intriguing to me because i'm coming from a situation of a very manipulative egomaniac pastor so i was like mm. these people are going to be different and honestly, I don't have one ill word to say about that church and the people mm-hmm. there experience. I was on the mm-hmm. worship team, like loved everybody there. Then we got relocated to Fresno, which is where we are now. And COVID mm-hmm. hit. So yeah. it pulled me from church. Mm-hmm. So then I started really yeah. breaking some stuff down and started thinking through things. And then my pivotal, my second crux was I had a friend of mine come to me and tell me that they had an abortion. All I did was give so much love. And then I remember after that conversation going, if I'm okay with that, then what do I actually believe? Because I thought I'm supposed to be pro-life and anti-gay marriage. What do I actually think? And that is what started my deconstruction journey. Oh, okay. Like I've heard the pandemic caused so many people to deconstruct. And it's interesting because, and also I 
really love coeducation to help prevent me and educate others too, but from going into cultic spaces mm -hmm. and cults can also be in like, it can be one-on-one -on -one a relationship, like narcissistic mm -hmm. abuse. Those are the dynamics of a cult, um, which I think it's interesting to have a cult expert lens or knowledge and to see it, thankfully see it in so many different situations. And with the pandemic, and really what I guess I want to say into this is that a lot of advice that people will give cult experts or a therapist or whatever, if you're dealing in a toxic situation or harmful church environment, and you're worried about it, your therapist or maybe like a cult expert would say, if you can, just take a break, get out of that environment for a time period and see how you feel see how your mood is see what changes and i think for a lot of people they felt better they left mm -hmm. they couldn't go and then because they didn't they weren't under that control mm -hmm. that indoctrination their head mm -hmm. could clear a little bit they could mm -hmm. start to critically think and see a lot of issues and i also think christian's reaction to the pandemic caused a lot of people to question too that's a whole other thing again like you had said earlier about people saying one thing but doing another and really when you see that it causes cognitive dissonance in yourself because you're like or you see the cognitive dissonance and you're like what like this one plus one isn't adding up to two this isn't making sense what's going on and it's really interesting because i really there were so many things that you said and like when you said to me that the pastor had an mlm i was like that's a red flag. <laughs> That's a whole other, oh my gosh, the amount of pastors in MLMs as top leaders is astounding. I don't know if mm. people realize the correlation, like all of the top people in that MLM, a lot mm. of them are pastors, like mm. high level leaders in their churches. And it's because churches are the perfect breeding ground for MLMs. And that's a whole, I'm anti-MLM and people on my Me platform that are listening, too. they like, they're yeah. not shocked. But so that's a whole, and that is like a nasty thing. Uh, and so many people were leaving the church in growth uh -huh. because of that. They were like, this mm. is sketchy. Uh -huh. They would tell me that. And then the lead pastor's like, why are these people leaving? And I'm like, because they're sick of hearing you talk about your MLM from the pulpit. And they feel like everything's very clicky. And it was just always like, <laughs> we're not clicky. That's them. That's not uh, us. It was mm. very, just no accountability, no. And that's yeah. the thing with narcissistic people, very highly narcissistic, is that they don't see anything they need to improve at all. Uh, Think so highly of themselves. There's nothing wrong with them at all. It has to be anyone else but them. I had never encountered someone like that that I had such a close relationship. I think it took me so long to really see it because I was on like the good side because mm. I was rarely the, I rarely got the, the bad part of it, but I watched other pastors on the team get that. And I was always like, wow, that's one of the pastors was literally blamed for the entire Easter service. Like why no one showed mm. up and wow. was they ridiculed him oh. i remember watching like holy shit and it was mm. very like but don't worry we'll never bring it up again it was brought up every fucking meeting and like oh we don't want another easter and i'm like these people are like 
wild to the worship pastor, watching the worship pastor lead, looking mm. for approval and looking towards yeah. the lead pastor for something. And just the look on his face said it all. I flash back to these things and I go, wow. And actually that church that I went to after is where I started really realizing how unhealthy of an environment I was in. First Sunday I went, the guest, the pastor that was speaking was another pastor on staff. The church yeah. I was at, like almost no one else ever spoke. Very yeah. few people, the worship pastor, he had speak once, never let him yeah. speak again because he didn't speak mm. up to his standard. And so I remember, wow, another pastor speaking and that's not the lead pastor. But the sad part was the lead pastor came up at the end and said, wow, that was an, that was an incredible message. Thank you so much. And he was patting him on the back with the, this look of such approval. And I mm. just started bawling. It mm. hit me in that moment that we did not have that. And what we had was so unhealthy and everyone was constantly seeking mm. approval and looking. And luckily I did get a lot of approval because I was the star student that didn't fuck up a lot. Right. But seeing that play out and seeing a healthy example blew mm -hmm. me away, mm -hmm. really saddened me. Like, mm -hmm. wow, that was, I've never, they're wild. I've never encountered mm -hmm. people like that before. And I, I definitely would know if I encountered one again, um, because man, that is, that was something else. Yes. When I escaped the cult that I grew up in and I exposed myself to cult education and learning about it can happen in any kind of group setting. Hearing about people who were in AA, mm -hmm. AA group turned into a cult, or someone was in a self-help group and it turned into a cult. Someone got recruited into a cult online. And it's just, and that's why cult education is so important, why I'm so vocal about it, is we need to understand because all cults function the same. And for anyone listening, I have a lot of content on my social media digging into cults. So please go yes. look into that. And on my website, I also have a resource page with under, or understanding cult dynamics and seeing signs of cults. And mm. it's interesting because there is a, I forgot what it's called, but there is a podcast like dedicated to MLMs and how they are cults. And they, and I wanted to dig a little bit into that since you brought up the mm -hmm. pastor thing. So this is a, an article I have pulled up from Psychology Today, but MLMs adopt cult techniques. MLMs recruit and maintain participants. It requires examining them as cults. MLMs use tactics of recruitment, financial manipulation, and the promises of large profits. But like all cults, they employ thought control, magical thinking, thought stopping, and self-blame. Mm -hmm. Failures failures are blamed directly on the mm -hmm. consultants for lack of hard work or competence. Mm -hmm. The group has no accountability, and the leaders do not allow questions or criticisms. Sounds and like a church to me. I know. And that's the interesting <laughs> thing is that this connection, learning about MLMs, and I'm like, is it our, our church's MLMs? It's yeah. all about recruiting and getting as many people as possible, promising them this wonderful cure, getting their money. Oh, you're going to be blessed. So, like, it's so interesting to read mm -hmm. about multi level marketing and see how churches function. And I think that's why so, there's so many pastors in it because they're great at that. They're already doing mm. that with their church. So they may as well hop over here and make some big cash. We're talking mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. So it's mm. like, why not? Yes. 
that's just so fascinating to me because I've seen a little bit of that on social media of how like churches functions like MLMs and I've known people who've gotten into actual MLMs selling mm-hmm. things and losing money being manipulated just being discarded if they complained or had some concerns yeah and that's just what's so common in cults and whether you're in an MLM or religious group or a political group or a self-help group this is why I tell people Stephen Hassan's bite model go research mm-hmm. it I talk about it in past episodes and then Lipton's criteria for thought reform and mm-hmm. it is incredible to me how all these groups function the same but yes mm-hmm. they might have different lingo and they might have a different ideology but at the behind it the blueprint is the same and yes. that's also why I do this podcast because I have mm-hmm. people from so many different backgrounds and it really shows people that, oh my gosh, like, yes, they're Mormon, but mm. I grew up in a totally different background, but we had, there's a lot of similar cult dynamics and high control techniques. And mm. I was recently on Latter Day Survivors podcast, and we talked for four and a half hours. <laughs> oh my gosh. I need to listen to it. <laughs> it's not out yet, but I'll Oh my gosh. We had a blast, and and that's what because it was interesting because I thought Latter Day Survivors podcast was just for Mormons because I was mm. looking at it, I'm like oh Mormons 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 and I was like hey do y'all just have Mormons on and they're like oh no like we love other survivors just have mm. that different background to compare and uh, Christina she hosts the podcast and with uh, another person which wasn't there unfortunately that day when they recorded but. I was telling my story and then she would be like, okay, and this in Mormonism, it's called this, but, and mm-hmm. just comparing and seeing it's so fascinating. And I think mm-hmm. hearing that too is so helpful for survivors because mm-hmm. it helps deconstruct that notion that we're the only way we're original, mm-hmm. we have the truth. And then once you mm-hmm. see how these, all these groups function very similarly, these cultic religious or whatever high control groups, you see that it's like the man behind the curtain in the wizard of oz like the indoctrination is like the projection the scary thing on the screen and then you're like "Ooh, cold education pull the curtain and you're like oh this is not so scary yes i you know what's funny about that too is a recent thing a recent memory of that i've had a flashback i grew up when I say I grew up, I mean my mm. 13 through my uh-huh. 20 at that church, the first church. Mm. I was told that Mormonism is a cult. Jehovah Witnesses, <laughs> cult. Seventh-day Adventists, yeah. cult. Mm. And then now I'm like, bro, it's the same thing. It's mind-blowing mm. when I like to recognize that. And it's yeah. all part of just the further indoctrination of them wanting to keep you there. The they don't want them. you looking at anything else because yeah. then you'll leave, right? So mm. it's just very yikes i mean that i feel like that's a very common thing you hear in most christian circles like mormons like they're crazy that is a cult and it's it's literally the same fucking thing and i think it's important for people to know that cult is a spectrum word it's a spectrum so there is like i guess you would say i think it's like the influence continuum or undue influence continuum that Stephen hassan i think developed but there is a continuum of how high control a cult is or a high control group is that you can compare and learn and using his bite model too. And I think 
for me though, leaving that environment and having that black and white mindset, mm -hmm. I had this very extreme view of what a cult was. Like I thought it was like, oh, it's only the worst possible case scenario. Yes. You had to be chained up in a cabin in the yes. middle of the wilderness. Yes. But once I learned more mm -hmm. and I was like, oh shit. Yes. <laughs> shit. Yes. I literally, I always joke that, and I know this might be like really offensive to some uh -oh. people, but this is just where I'm at. But I have been saying I want to make a hoodie that says Christianity is a cult. Like I really, this is so just... interesting. That's something I've been really thinking about lately too. As I like, I'm also working on making a video called "Jesus Was a Cult Leader." Oh, um, that's literally exactly where I'm at. Tell me the difference between <laughs> him and Joseph Smith. What is the difference? I don't know. It's like the more I think of that and that once I started thinking of that's what pulled me from the mm -hmm. aggressive Christianity to yeah. I'm not a Christian because mm -hmm. what is the difference here? So you're, mm -hmm. we're making fun of the book of Mormon. We're making yeah. fun of people just buying that and believing yeah. that. And what is the difference? For, I'm not seeing the difference. Uh -huh. Oh, the difference is that our way is the right way. <laughs> that's like, a red flag. Do you know what I mean? Like, wow, yeah. man, that's just the more I've yeah. thought about that, that has what has taken me to my mm. next level of deconstruction. Yes. And in our culture, Christianity is put on a pedestal and religion in general is put on a pedestal that you're not allowed to touch or criticize. Mm. I think saying that Christianity is a cult, I know it's going to turn off so many people, but let's dig into this a little bit because let's just start with Jesus. All right. So. He's, he says he's the son of God. He has a truth. He's the only way. How many cult leaders have said that? Every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And as I've really started thinking about this, it made more and more sense to me because cult followers always deify their cult leader. Jesus never wrote down any of his teachings. <laughs> His followers did, or people who claimed to follow him or know him, and they deified him. They were, and he had this charisma. And don't get me wrong for people listening. There are some things that I admire about Jesus, but I'm not a Christian. I'm totally. not a Christian. But I loved how he seemed to try to question toxic religion and legalism. Yes. I love that. But... It turns me, it totally turns me off when then he's like, I'm the way I'm and also what if his followers are just boasting about him as if he, maybe they're even talking about or talking about him better than he even was. It's true. That's possible that he could have never said. I, who knows? He no, fucking write it and that it was that's written true. how many years after? Oh, I, I mean, know. It's like, and then you throw <laughs> mental health in there where yes. they, were they in an episode when they wrote? Seriously, these are yeah. things that I think about. That's true. Were they on psychedelics, like Revelation? Who knows, like... right? <laughs> I, I don't even know. And it's interesting because I think it's important when you're in a group to analyze if it's a cult or not. Now, what I'm going to say is that there are Christian churches that are not cults. Totally. They exist. And like, I've only, it's funny because my first good church experience was one that was actually didn't have cults or high control dynamics. Mm -hmm. And it shocked me because the church did not claim that the Bible was the only way. It did not claim it was the absolute truth. 
They do not claim there is one way to heaven. It was interesting because they believe everyone went to heaven. A universalism or universalist yes. perspective. And Almost like a Unitarian church. Unitarian, yeah. Ish. And so yeah. it was very loving, no screaming, no hating, like no shame or high control. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. It was the opposite of what I grew up in. When, and this was mm-hmm. a very progressive church that I visited. And obviously mm-hmm. then I didn't have the cult education, but I was like, this is healthier or healthy. Like what is going on? I felt actually safe in a church. And it's Mm. because it it was not a cult. It did not have the high control dynamics and the thought reform techniques that Lifton's Mm. criteria for thought reform talks about. Oh my gosh. I know this is going to get so much backlash, but I am going to do a post on cultic commands in the Bible because there are culty things in the Bible. So many culty things. Take your kid up and sacrifice them on the mount. Are you fucking kidding me with that? Like, <laughs> whoa, that's some next level shit. <laughs> and like, to me, one thing that was so obvious that comes out in my mind is that anyone who is not a Christian is of the devil, is of, mm-hmm. what do they call it? If you're not of God, you're of mammoth or it's a really weird, you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. But I've been anyway, out of the Bible too long, but I also yes. love that for me. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. <laughs> but, and then, and I also remember being told that, oh, yeah, people who are not a part of Christianity, they are servants of Satan. And, and that's even in the Bible. And the thing is, that's the us versus them mindset that cults have. And it's also called dispensing of existence and criteria's thought reform. It's anyone outside the group is like they're not legitimate or they're demonized or dehumanized. And that's what the Bible does to people who don't conform to its ideology. And there's a lot of name calling in the Bible for people who don't conform to it. The point is to control the followers by dismissing anyone outside the group so they don't question and they stay in. And I think that's a very obvious culty thing in the Bible is that anyone outside of it is evil or of the world, of Satan, they're wicked, vile. It's just this, oh, this generalization. And it's interesting because there's, there's once in a while I'll go back in the Bible out of curiosity to research a verse. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Looking back, I'm like, I cannot, I'm glad I don't believe this anymore mm-hmm. um, because I've taken on, which I've loved, is just learning to love everyone. Yes. <laughs> now, and, like, actually, <laughs> and not just trying to, convert people or oh i have to be nice to them so i can get them in my cult or my group Mm -hmm. and just to not the survivor community and the deconstruction community are just so incredible all the different kinds of people that Mm -hmm. you meet and the thing is you're told that you i remember being told this that you can't have healthy relationships outside of this religion we're Mm -hmm. the only way to that which is another culty thing Mm -hmm. but going back to christianity with the cultiness. Stephen Hassan's bite model, the B stands for behavior. The Bible is very controlling of your behavior, especially mm-hmm. women's behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't even Dirty get me. culture. <laughs> yes. And I'm trying to think of like information control too. Even with things like witchcraft in the Bible or different spiritual things, you weren't allowed to explore. No crystals, no yoga. That is from Satan. Those things are from Satan. The labeling of people who leave. Oh my gosh. I remember like people saying this. I think some of the Bible is like rebellion is compared to witchcraft, which now I don't think is a big deal at all. Back then though, hearing that it was like, oh, 
witchcraft. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. And so that's another way. Rebelling is just really questioning the group. And so that's another way to keep people indoctrinated. Going through Stephen Hassan's bite model and going through the Bible, there are Christian churches. They approach the Bible differently. Like the church that the one church that I went to, I was in college, that was not a cult. They didn't take on all these extreme things that are in the Bible. And mm. they saw everyone as children of God. So mind-blowing because I was taught that people who did not conform, they were of Satan. Mm. Satan had them and we had to stay away from them. Um, was the so church I, affirming too? Yes, it was. Yeah. Very healthy church. I think it's important for people to know because if, okay, if, this is how I see it. If people want to pursue Christianity, if that's healthy for them, they want to have, find a healthy version, that's fine. But please have co-education. Protect yourself from high control and cultic groups. And we've seen the last several years with QAnon conspiracy theories fueled by a lot of Christians. QAnon is a cult. A lot of cult experts have. There's even there's a book called The Cult of Trump, which I recommend to anyone Ooh. and everyone by Stephen Hassan, who is he made the bite model and he's a cult expert. So I really want to dig into purity culture, though. I feel like we haven't gotten into that yet. So. Tell me about your experiences and purity culture and how that affected you. Man, I think if I had to pick one thing from Christianity that's fucked me up the most, mm -hmm. while also fucking me the less, <laughs> the mm. least amount, get it? Yeah, <laughs> oh, so, no. Ooh. Definitely purity culture. When I came home from camp and got involved in the girls' Bible study, I threw away any shirt that was like even mm. mildly showing cleavage because yeah. it was up to me to make yeah. sure my Christian brothers did not stumble. Mm. Their self-control was up to me. Mm. And I didn't really see that a ton other than what I was taught in youth group, the boys and the girls being separated and the mm. girls having the modesty talk, which was also at camp at Hume Lake camp, which was a high school camp. So not the junior high camp I went to, but modest is hottest and uh. starting to not, I was told not to read magazines. Don't look up every single thing you watch. So I literally changed everything about my life. Everything I was listening to, everything mm. I was watching, everything yeah. I was wearing, who yeah. I was dating. I had wanted to wait mm. for marriage for myself. That was something mm -hmm. that I just, before I was a Christian. Mm -hmm. So then when I became a Christian, I was like, oh, perfect fit. Look at that. That's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. My husband was actually my first boyfriend when I was 12 years old. We met on AIM. For those of you that remember AIM, shout out. And we reconnected when I was 19 and we started dating again. And we dated for four and a half years before we got married. We waited the full four and a half years. And it was really difficult. We had to set boundaries to make sure that we didn't sleep together because God forbid if we slept together, it was going to be like the end of the world. And it was interesting because once we got married, just like a sidebar, but like everyone in our young adults group had all slept together before they were married, except for one couple, like from the church. And I'm like, what the fuck were we doing? Like even the Christians weren't even doing this shit. This is a yike. So anyways really purity culture taught me to not be sure of myself, not mm. be confident in my body, not be to 
suppress any normal feeling that you should have in terms of anything sexual, suppress all of it. Don't mention it. Don't think mm-hmm. about it. Don't talk about it. Don't. Yeah. And what that creates is a very, it's uncomfortable. Like yeah. I still struggle with my friends seeing their mm. posts of working with a company that sells vibrators. I'm like, I can barely comment on this. I feel like I'm 10 mm. and I've been married for 10 years in May and it is a daily fucking battle. Mm. Like it's still, I think when you have five years of no, and then uh. it turns into a yes, that's not something that is normal. That's not no. something that happens overnight. And then you add in the conditioning of mm. I'm not okay with my body. I'm not okay with anything mm-hmm. sexual in nature, but now mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be okay with everything mm-hmm. sexual in nature. Doesn't make sense. And it's so backwards and so unhealthy and so damaging. It was mm-hmm. I had the purity ring, like the full 10 yards and just thinking how fucking mm-hmm. repulsive that is. It's just, it is. I like, I literally, I, it's so hard not to comment on those TikTok videos of people who are waiting and I want to be like, <laughs> don't wait. If I could go back, I would have a hundred percent not waited with my mm-hmm. husband hundred percent. And I know our sex life would be healthier. Mm-hmm. I would be more sure of myself and, yeah. and be more comfortable with sexuality yeah. in general. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such an awkward conversation and topic uh, for me. Uh, I literally feel like I'm 10 years old. I know what you mean. Cause lately. I've been considering going to a sex therapist. Love that idea. <laughs> but that religious programming, man, it runs oh, deep. It, and it is, it does run deep. The conditioning is so crazy. Mm-hmm. And so how did you deal with the conditioning of purity culture are really still dealing with it? I mean, I feel like it's an everyday, it's an everyday yeah. battle. Mm-hmm. And something that I didn't mention about my story too, is I'm the type of person that when I'm involved in something, I'm going to be like the most involved person that there is. That is how I've been since I was two years old dancing. Mm-hmm. I've, that is my, I spent so much time in therapy. My therapist was like trying to figure out like why I'm always striving for perfection, why I'm so yeah. driven because my parents were very like, try your best. If it's an F, then that was your best. And that's, that's okay. And we're proud of you. And, but I always wanted to be the best, one of the best grades. I wanted to be the best on my, that since I would like, that is just who I am. And it has made me successful. Mm. Most things that I do in my life, but, and at church, it made me very successful. Everybody, Uh the pastors loved me because that is my, like, that's really my wiring. So I wanted to say, because it mm-hmm. seems like sometimes I'm like, why am I so fucked up when like I didn't mm-hmm. even grow up in this? Like I was, it was 13 to 26, but mm-hmm. I was like, you couldn't have been more sold out. I, so I think I was just so indebted and just so deeply invested that it was everything that I was. Mm-hmm. And I remember too, like that conversation that I had when I was told I was no longer the person for the position mm-hmm. felt like all of a sudden my identity was ripped from me uh, because mm. I'm like, this is who I am. So who am I even more? Who am I now? I feel like with purity culture, I, I feel very similarly without this and what even, what do I even do? The uh, other thing that I think is an interesting parallel is the obsession with males 
and pornography viewing and how that's constantly talked about in church it was like everyone in the youth group was addicted to porn all the guys were addicted to porn and it was the biggest problem and i feel like i feel like that may have been the one thing the church put above sin wise of you're gay is like here and then like porn it's like up here that is like the worst thing you can do and it was so demonized and Mm. villainized and and i think it ironically I know that the church actually breeds that, right? Because it's all about suppression. So it's like, you're suppressing what's natural. You're going to do things opposite of that to be more natural. So that's been a whole like, I feel like I'm constantly reframing and restructuring. I'm at a place with my thoughts towards people, for example, like people on on OnlyFans and people like I'm like that's mm. awesome like you do you like I yeah. fucking love that for you and I'm getting better at like that's actually like my knee jerk now versus mm. I know that sex work is valid but like yeah. I still have an issue with it if that yeah, makes I sense you, I know what you mean like mm. seeing someone on the street like why the fuck are her tits out with why am I seeing two versus wear whatever you want be you be free be beautiful yeah. be you i'm noticing that less and less i have the christianity lens of judgment on mm-hmm. christianity is it's just so judgmental it's mm-hmm. like especially yeah. when you're this girl that's living pure and i'm over here living holy and pure uh-huh. and god loves me more and so it's like <laughs> and it's just it's another form of just keeping you indoctrinated further mm-hmm. i feel like I- I am getting to a place where I'm able to Mm. think more clearer, but like I said, I mean, even to this day posts, any type of self-pleasure post, I'm still like, what do I even comment on this? Am I even okay with this? Is this okay? What I feel very juvenile Mm. and it has severely impacted my marriage severely. And it's just thankfully my husband is deconstructed with me and like Mm. he understands like where I'm at and but it's just a constant rewiring, a constant. Mm. And I definitely, huge like next step for me is I definitely want to look into just trauma, like therapy. My youth pastor at the first church that I was at pulling me aside and pretty much telling me I needed to leave my boyfriend. He is not a Christian. Do you know how this looks to the rest of the church? And like me thinking that was a normal conversation. Now looking back, a 30 some year old man is pulling a 14 year old girl aside telling her what to do with her fucking relationship. That is so inappropriate, unacceptable, just like every terrible Mm -hmm. thing you can think of. It's just not okay. That was, it's just another layer of indoctrination and Mm -hmm. there's so much to it and it's so deep. And that's why I always want to comment on those TikTok videos. I'm like, just do it, please. Just for me, please. If I could go back, that would be my... That would be my biggest change, yeah. but I also, I use it to educate now and, mm-hmm. and when I share now and hope that people <laughs> look into a different direction. Even yeah. with watching things, like I'm still like, gosh, I'd say within the last, like, I'd say maybe even a year or two ago, my husband was like still I would catch him like looking up something on his phone before. And I'm like, just turn the fucking movie on. We're adults. Who cares what's in the movie? Just fucking turn it on. We're just so conditioned. That is what we did. 
to help us stay pure like no sex in any movies nothing Mm -hmm. i haven't seen any of the super bad like i've never seen any of those movies so and it was very like the baptist church i grew up it was very like no celebrities very like no magazine so i feel like i'm under a rock still like i'm like i don't even know who these people are it's just too much Mm. for me especially working through it wanting to work through it in therapy see where i like end up but i'm also very okay with not being at a church or not being something like that i think i have a group of friends that we've all deconstructed and i call it like my deconstruction group and we have we chat and then we do a monthly meetup it's been really powerful and really just great for me but the parallel for everyone is that community aspect. And I think that's a really hard thing for people deconstructing. I know it has been for me as I went from, and I was a pastor. So like everybody mm-hmm. loved me. I had so many friends and so much yeah. admirers and so much. And you go from that to you've now left everything you've ever believed. Your entire faith has crumbled and you've lost like all of your friends. It's very isolating. Plus you throw in COVID. I see that a lot in the deconstruction space. It's just, and I think that's what makes the deconstruction space on social media so powerful because that mm-hmm. has, that is what has gotten me through this time is that mm. I've being able to connect with people that I can yeah. relate to has mm. been so healing for me. And I feel like there's something I can connect mm. with every person that's deconstructed. And that has been like my, my thing that has gotten me through. Cause I'm mm. such a community minded person that's why i share so much on my platform is because i just want people to see that Mm. if you're having a change of belief it's okay and you are seen and you are loved and you have people that are going to support you so powerful and i i agree and i relate it's incredible because as i've been in therapy almost a year now which is really not long but one thing that I was really hard to dig into, but really realized was that, yes, I was surrounded by so many people growing up and the mm-hmm. cult that I grew up in and the homeschool group and all mm-hmm. these other activities. There wasn't a true community. I was not seen. I was not heard. Mm-hmm. I wasn't understood. I didn't have any healthy relationships mm-hmm. that were nourishing. And in these environments, you're not loved for who mm-hmm. you are. That's for sure. At all. You have mm-hmm. to conform to a standard. And as human beings, we need to be loved and accepted for every part of ourselves. But in this environment, yeah. we are not. Mm-hmm. And that is not healthy for our psychological and emotional growth and our well-being in general. And so that's the great thing that as I've left, I really was excommunicated, but it worked out. But once I was out, I was like, I can connect with all these different people online. Yes. I can be friends with anyone that I want. Mm-hmm. I can have honest and authentic friendship. And it's not reliant upon what I believe mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. There's not someone trying to convert me to their religion or indoctrinate mm-hmm. me or make sure I'm conforming to their religion. It's actually just me like being a like, human to human connection. And that's just been so incredible. And to see different people on the different aspects of their deconstruction journey and what path they're taking or what it looks like to them and again like it's so powerful because you see oh i'm not alone i'm not alone there are other people who are going through this and we can go through this figure this out (laughs) together 
as we get to the end of this interview, what advice do you have for people who are stuck in these high control and high demand religions? Gosh, I think what you said in the beginning, I feel like that's such a powerful piece of advice is to Mm. just take a break. Take Mm. a break and just see how you feel, see what you're thinking. I think it's funny because so many people are like, oh, people are leaving the church in groves. And it's like, because people are finally thinking for themselves. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say would be to really stay open-minded. Yes. When you see a deconstruction post, try your absolute mm-hmm. hardest to not go to that place of, but I'm a different Christian and, but my, but Jesus, not people and not my church and just don't go there and just think about it for a second and really take in that person's experience that they're sharing with you that Mm. differs from yours learn from it take something from it i do have some open christians that have had some great conversations with me and if they didn't come from a place of openness then that conversation wouldn't have happened so i would say be open asking questions And don't Mm -hmm. close yourself off because something is different than what you're used to. Different is good. Mm. We should be constantly evolving, constantly Mm -hmm. shifting and constantly growing. And that's something else that I would say to lean into that thought, because that's a very, that's a very interesting one. And one that's missing in, in the church, I feel. Yes. See church, like overall. Is there anything else you would like to say before we end this interview? Thanks so much for having me on. It's been so cool to meet you like face to face and just so having been social media friends for a bit and being able Uh to connect and your work is just so powerful has resonated with me so deeply. So thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm so honored to have you on here. So thank you. This is so great. (laughs) All right. Thank you everyone for listening. And this was Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.